0: We're back. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, Stefan and Mike, to talk from Free Domain Radio about all the news that you need to digest. You can unplug from anything else and just listen to our calming and dulcet tones as we massage all of the important stuff in the world going on through your neofrontal cortex. We have some great, great topics tonight. Uh, Thanks a lot for taking the time, Tige. Let's start off with the People Climate March. People climate. That's
1: actually happening right now as we're recording this in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. And if you look on Twitter, boy, for people that are concerned about the climate, pollution, and all that type of stuff, they sure did leave a whole lot of mess around, stuff strewn about the streets. It's interesting how that ends up working out. Right after the
0: March for Science and the Women's March, a lot of marching going on. It, it would seem to me that's not particularly interfering with their employment. That's the first thing that I'm sort of noticing that, you know, you have a lot of time if you don't have a job, to be upset about things.
1: Hey, there's something else in common with all these marches. They like marching straight up to me, and straight up to you, and straight up to the average citizen, reaching into their back pocket, pulling out their wallet, reaching into someone's handbag, pulling out their wallet, and um, removing a greenback or two, removing some funds, and then taking those funds and... Filtering them towards their own pet project. Is it climate science? Hey! Is it some type of social justice science project? Maybe. Is it abortion funding? Could be. Is it women's health services? Because women can't afford to pay for their own health services because we have to treat women like children. You know, because feminism. Ah, uh, yeah. So the common thread here is we're going to take your money... Um, you have no choice in that we're going to get the state to do it, and then we're going to filter it to our own pet projects because uh, screw you, that's why.
0: And there's an old saying in in investing that the pe- like there's a bear market and a bull market. Bull market is when things are doing well. Bear market is when it collapses. And the people who make money off the... Um, the bear market, are the people who last got hit by the bear market, like they've learned how to navigate those peaks and, and troughs. And the people who are scared of environmental catastrophe, doom scenarios at the moment are basically those who weren't around for the last set, right? So the 47th anniversary of Earth Day, which I think for certain fundamentalist sects is probably actually accurate. It's 47 years old, and the sun is 3,000 miles <laughs> away. But last week, it was the 47th anniversary of Earth Day, so... um First Earth Day was in 1970. Now, 1970, I was uh, four four years old, going into five. And uh, even then, I remember these disasters floating around. And, you know, along with the Cold War that we talked about with uh, Bill Whittle a while back, it really has an effect.
1: Yeah, we're going to read from a list that was put together by Mark J. Perry over at the American Enterprise Institute of Climate Predictions that were made in and around 1970
0: first one harvard biologist george walt harvard no less estimated that quote civilization will end within 15 or 30 years unless immediate action is taken against problems facing mankind so again you got your nuclear winter you got your <laughs> you've got your uh, global freezing you've got your nuclear war you've got uh, and coal running out of coal running out of food all this civilization itself will end within 15 or 30 years, and they wonder why people became a little bit R-selected. Mike, why don't you take the, the second one? Oh, these are horrible.
1: But Steph, he's from Harvard, so naturally everything that comes out of his mouth has to be accurate.
0: Ugh. Sorry, I actually uh, <laughs> I forgot to pronounce that correctly. We've got to do it with the right Harvard.
1: accent. No, no, no. asshole. Okay, sorry, go on. Washington University biologist Barry Commoner said, quote, We are in an environmental crisis which threatens the survival of this nation and of this world as a suitable place for human habitation. Eh, I think we're okay. I think...
0: Well, no, there is actually one exception for that, uh, which was that I think starting about 1970, very, very quickly, arts campuses became an unsuitable place for human habitation. So I think that environmentalist, intellectual environmental crisis where leftism has become an environmental toxin. So not all the world, but certainly those places in the world where you get indoctrinated into leftist uh, Marxist ideology, definitely not suitable. But yeah, outside of those areas, uh, he was completely wrong.
1: Maybe the Dakota Access Pipeline protest camps, which currently the tally for cleaning those up is at $1.1 million because of all the debris the leftists left behind. Maybe those are uninhabitable by human populations. I'm not so sure.
0: So detritus can leave debris. Okay, I just wanted to check that.
1: Number three, Steph. Hit me with it.
0: The day after the first Earth Day, the New York Times editorial page warned, man must stop pollution and conserve his resources not merely to enhance existence but to save the race from intolerable deterioration and possible extinction. Well, I guess you could use the word race back in 1970, uh, as long as there was only, only one. Again, New York Times editorial page. Um, fresh, you know, pretty much off getting Pulitzer for defending the, the crimes against humanity from one Joseph Stalin, uh, I guess they decided to take a dip into environmentalism. And this, you know, frightened people. It Frightened for two reasons. Number one, either it's true, in which case we're doomed, or number two, it's false, but we're being programmed into socialism by the New York Times, which is also pretty terrifying.
1: All right, we got Paul Ehrlich, who was the author of the controversial 1968 book, The Population Bomb, 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 which asserted that the world's human population would soon increase to a point where mass starvation ensued. I, I like that. It would increase. That's good. Mass starvation. Ooh, that's bad. Well, this guy is currently the Bing Professor of Population Studies of the Department of Biology of Stanford University, that's a whole lot of ofs, and he's also the president of Stanford Center for Conservation Biology. So I'm assuming that all of his predictions were spot-on, since he still holds these very prestigious professional positions. He said, quote, Population will inevitably and completely outstrip whatever small increases in food supplies we make. The death rate will increase until at least 100 to 200 million people per year will be starving to death during the next 10 years. Ooh, quick question.
0: Quick question, Mike. Yep. Since 1970, have Americans gotten thinner or fatter?
1: Most Americans are large enough that you can show a drive-in movie on their big giant fat asses, so not thinner.
0: Not thinner. The only place in the world it seems the people are getting thinner are North Korea, and Venezuela, and well, other places, of course, where there's massive socialism. But, uh, yeah, 100 million to 200 million people starving to death. I wonder if his concerns about overpopulation extended to him opposing foreign aid, foreign food aid, and so on. Not because he wants people to starve in Africa, but because, of course, Africa it seems to be the more food you get, the more people you get. And uh, I wonder if he put... I'm going to guess no, but I could be wrong about that.
1: The latest figures from the CDC show that million, or one-third, 34.9% to be exact, of U.S. adults are obese, and 17% of children or adolescents aged 2 to 19 years are also obese. The organization estimates that Three-fourths of the American population will likely be overweight or obese by 2020, so this man could not have possibly gotten the prediction more wrong. It actually takes talent and skill to be that wrong, so congratulations.
0: Well, not not only are people, particularly in America, not starving to death, they've become pretty much a bottomless food source for the incoming cannibalistic space aliens, so... That's important to remember.
1: Is that a prediction? Did you not get that email? No. Did that I, I,
0: I thought I BCC'd you on that, but no.
1: Cannibalistic space aliens. Yeah.
0: Okay. Wait, wait we, we're burying the lead. Uh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll do that one a little bit later.
1: He also wrote in a 1969 essay titled Eco-catastrophe! exclamation point, Which I can't help but see, and uh, think of Jeb Bush every single time I see an exclamation point these days. He said, most of the people who are going to die in the Great cataclysm of the history of man, have already been born. By 1975, some experts feel that food shortages will have escalated the present level of world hunger and starvation into famines of unbelievable proportions. Other experts, more optimistic, (laughs) think the ultimate food population collision will not occur until the decade of the 1980s.
0: Mm. Some experts feel, because nothing spells science like feelings, or optimism, and that is just not, you know, how how about a little proof, little proof, some facts, some data?
1: I had a dream and bad things <laughs> happened. Therefore, let's plan public policy around it. Uh so he sketched out an alarmist scenario for the nineteen seventy Earth Day issue of the Progressive. Hmm, the Progressive Environmentalism. No assuring readers that between 1980 and 1989, some 4 billion people, including 65 million Americans, would perish in the Great Die-Off.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think, I'm trying to think what he was off by. I think he was off by minus 2 billion people. But, you know, what's 6 billion people, give or take? You know, among friends.
1: Dennis Hayes, the chief organizer for Earth Day, in the spring 1970 issue of The Living Wilderness, declared... It's already too late to avoid mass starvation. So alarmism without any chance of possibly changing anything—that's always helpful. Well, this is yeah, what this is what they always. Wrong.
0: Oh, this is what they always say. You know, disaster is coming. Disaster is coming. Give us power. It's already too late, but we'll still take that power. You know, like what do they say about the climate change? The tipping point is gone. We can't do any. We can't do anything to stop it. It's like okay, well then just shut it all down. Shut down all these yeah. controls. Get rid of the carbon credits. Get rid of all the. Forget it. I mean, if we can't do anything. Forget it.
1: Let's enjoy the ride on the way down, but we're already screwed based on past estimations. So, but no, no, they, they never want to give up the power. In 1970, Peter Gunter, a North Texas State University professor wrote, demographers agree almost unanimously on the following grim timetable. By 1975, widespread famines will begin in India. These will spread by 1990 to include all of India, Pakistan, China, and near East Africa. By the year 2000, or conceivably sooner, South and Central America will exist under famine conditions. He wasn't referring to Venezuela. By the year 2000, 30 years from now, the entire world, with the exception of Western Europe, North America, and Australia will be in famine. Again, incorrect.
0: Well, you know, and it's great to see that these demographers are all over something which is actually very predictable, which is the number of third worlders in Europe and their birth rates eclipsing the native population. It's great to know that they're right. Oh, no, they barely talk about that at all, because that is actually a predictable challenge for Europe. And so they want to imagine starvation, not deal with actual mathematics that would show up in a decade or two.
1: In January of 1970, LIFE reported, scientists have solid experimental and theoretical evidence to support the following predictions. In a decade, urban dwellers will have to wear gas masks to survive air pollution. By 1985, air pollution will have reduced the amount of sunlight reaching the Earth by one half.
0: Well, again, sorry to – to. I mean, this sounds like a bad prediction. It did take a little bit longer, but if we take that sentence and just tweak it a little bit, we can rescue his this prediction from the magazine. In a decade, urban dwellers will have to wear gas masks to survive leftist agitation at free speech rallies. Then that does become – True, uh, although it's not really so much air pollution as it is the aforementioned environmental toxin called radical Marxism uh, on U.S. campuses. So gas mocks are still needed, but only either if you're A, in Beijing, or B, in proximity to leftist political agitators.
1: Wow, this guy was a regular Nostradamus. Amazing. (laughs) Ecologist Kenneth Watt told Time that, quote, at the present rate of nitrogen buildup, it's only a matter of time before light will be filtered out of the atmosphere and none of our land will be usable, end quote. Is the land currently usable, Steph? Have you checked lately? Uh,
0: It does seem to be uh, usable. I'm not sure what nitrogen buildup was. I thought CO2 was the great, you know, plant food apparently is the great Satan now. I guess nitrogen was at some point. And what does it mean to say light will be filtered out of the atmosphere? Does that mean that... Oh, I guess you would mean that that there would be no no sunlight reaching. We'd live in a state of perpetual uh, darkness, you know, like we're in a leftist soulless cavity or something. I don't know. It's weird stuff. (laughs) Want to hit the next one? Yeah, Barry Commoner predicted that decaying organic pollutants would use up all of the oxygen in America's rivers, causing freshwater fish... To suffocate. Paul Ehrlich chimed in, predicting in 1970 that air pollution is certainly going to take hundreds of thousands of lives in the next few years alone. Ehrlich sketched a scenario in which 200,000 Americans would die in 1973 during smog disasters in New York and Los Angeles. Now, this just strikes me like if you run a pretty cheesy movie studio, you get a lot of people pitching you know, in '807 and stuff like that, which, you know, <laughs> is relatively benign. <laughs> you know, sharks in the sky, relatively benign relative to this. At least you can survive yourself with a chainsaw. But this must be like just having an ever sort of series of people just come in with their disaster scenario stuff, you know, like killer bees uh, and stuff like that. I mean, just be uh, it's so gross. And it's only because of the state and its uh, addiction to controlling people through environmental terrorists, it's only because of the state that this stuff matters at all. Otherwise, people would be discredited by just being so badly wrong.
1: Paul Ehrlich chimed in again in May 1970 saying that DDT and other chlorinated hydrocarbons quote, may have substantially reduced the life expectancy of people born since 1945, end quote. The banning of DDT is actually, well, I mean, we have a whole 60 presentation 60 million on deaths DD. around
0: the world as of 10 years ago when I first reported on
1: it. Uh, He warned that Americans born since 1946 now had a life expectancy of only 49 years, and he predicted that if current patterns of this expectancy would reach 42 years by 1980, when it might level out. Oh, good. He put in some wiggle room there. It might level out. Good. Currently, according to the aforementioned CDC, life expectancy in the United States is 78.8 years. So I guess the patterns didn't continue. That's higher. His statistical predictions and models didn't accurately predict and forecast future life expectancy.
0: Well, and of course, this is, I just wanted to point out, I want to point out too that these environmentalists are constantly concerned about uh, the fact that people in the first world use up such a huge amount of natural resources, but not one of them, to my knowledge. I don't know about these guys, but there's been no major environmentalist that I know of that has talked about bringing people from the third world into the first world where they use up 10 to 20 times. The amount of resources. Nobody's ever said that's a bad thing, which just tells you how much they actually care about the environment.
1: But if you bring in people to a first world country from a third world country, they're going to vote for the left. So that means they're going to vote for more climate-oriented policies and politicians that are concerned about the climate. So that's going to have a positive effect, won't it?
0: Well, yeah. You, uh, you know, when you're right, you're right. Uh, QED and uh, bingo, bango, bongo. Touche. Corrected. I am.
1: All right. So ecologist Kenneth Watt declared quote, by the year 2000, if present trends continue, we will be using up crude oil at such a rate that there won't be any more crude oil. You'll drive up to the pump and say, fill her up, buddy. And he'll say, I'm very sorry, there isn't any. And so he's a bit of a playwright, too,
0: with these imaginary fiction-based <laughs> conversations. And there is massive amounts of oil. They've actually discovered a lot of natural resources in space uh, recently. And uh, yeah, so it's – um. Uh, it's, as far as this sort of natural resources goes, so there's a kind of a famous thing. Uh, so a business professor, Julian L. Simon, and this Paul Ehrlich. Uh, this was a 1980 wager that they made. Uh, and it was actually right there, there in public. And uh, Ehrlich said, if I were a gambler, I would take even money that England will not exist in the year 2000. Jesus. I know. <laughs> Sinks into the sea, you know. Two thousand and fifty, maybe. But anyway, so it's, and and so he said that the business professor said, "Well, that's just too silly a prediction to bother with." So what he did was he said, "I'm going to offer you a, pub- I'm going to give you a public offer to stake ten thousand dollars on my belief that the cost of non-government controlled raw materials, including grain and oil, will not rise in the long run." So Simon challenged Ehrlich to choose any raw material he wanted at a date more than a year away, and he would wager on the inflation-adjusted prices decreasing as opposed to increasing. So Ehrlich took him up on this, chose copper, aluminum, sorry, copper, chromium, nickel, tin, and tungsten. The bet was formalized September 29th, 1980, and 10 years later there was supposed to be a payoff uh, period. Uh, A quick question. Um, who, Who do you think won, the business professor or the environmental fear merchant?
1: Man bear pig. Wait, no, no, sorry, business professor.
0: Right, the business professor won. the price of three of the five metals went down in nominal terms, and all five of the metals fell in prices in inflation adjusted terms. Tin and tungsten fell by more than half. So uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, uh you know when you got money on the table, I guess he even still wouldn't wouldn't have gotten it right, but um, yeah, just uh, something to to this is something I remember regarding this uh, Portland Ehrlich and the uh, the business professor.
1: It's like going to a Doomsday Scenario racetrack. Melting Ice Cap takes the lead, followed by Sad Polar Bear. Sad Polar Bear to the front. Virtue Signaling Award Show passes Leonardo DiCaprio's private jet. I really wish some of these people would put their money where their mouth is when it comes to their crazy, fanatical Doomsday opinions. Put 10K in escrow, then we'll talk. But
0: here's the challenge, Mike: is that over 10 years of fear-mongering and massive amounts of grants coming in from the government and so on, do you think they make more than 10,000? Um, it could be, it's fine, right? I mean, if it costs them 10,000, but they get to be alarmists, then most of these guys would end up making a lot more than they would spend on the 10K just by getting all these government grants.
1: So Harrison Brown, a scientist at the National Academy of Sciences, published a chart in Scientific America that looked at medical reserves and estimated that humanity would totally run out of copper shortly after the year 2000. Lead, zinc, tin, gold, and silver would also be gone before 1990. Gone. And, uh, spoiler, I'm able to buy an American gold eagle currently if I want. I believe Peter Schiff is selling some.
0: Well, that is true, but you do need to open up a time portal. For one day before 1990. Uh, Other than that, yeah, totally, totally
1: fine. Y2K is going to wipe out all the gold, silver, tin, zinc, and lead. Oh, my goodness. Senator Gaylord Nelson wrote in Look that, quote, Dr. S. Dylan Ripley, secretary of the Smithsonian Institute, believes that in 25 years, somewhere between 75 and 80 percent of all the species of living animals will be extinct, end quote. Mm -hmm. In 1975, he was still at it. Paul Ehrlich predicted that, quote, since more than nine-tenths of the original tropical rainforest will be removed in most areas within the next 30 years or so, it is expected that half of the organisms in those areas will vanish with it, end quote.
0: And Kenneth Watt, and this is uh, famous, right? Kenneth Watt warned about a pending ice age in a speech. See, it's going to be too cold. Then it was going to be too warm. Then it was just going to change. So he said, the world has been chilling sharply for about 20 years. If present trends continue, the world will be about four degrees colder for the global mean temperature in 1990, but 11 degrees colder in the year 2000. This is about twice what it would take to put us into an ice age, 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 age. Now, there was an ice age, but it just was a pretty mediocre movie. It wasn't actually a global catastrophe
1: uh, of weather. And you know, sometimes these days you think Disney movies are a national catastrophe, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so this is the kind of fearmongering that was going on in 1970 and uh, throughout the early 70s as well, and a whole lot of doomsday predictions. Many of them didn't come true, and that has not ceased. In 90s, 2000s, we had to watch El Gore's movie. Many of those predictions didn't come true, and they keep kicking the can down the road. Eventually, it'll be true stuff. Eventually,
0: you know, and and you know that. Um... People aren't in the free market or aren't in the market because they continue to have successes even though they're completely wrong about stuff. So uh, this is just one way you know. I mean, you're making these kinds of wild predictions. I mean, imagine if you were making predictions for financial investment using all of your own money on this. Well, you'd be broke, right? The price would go down and you'd be wiped out. So they're not dealing with their own money and um, they're not in the free market environment and they're actually getting paid for all of this fear-mongering. So it's, yeah, it's wretched. It's just one of the ways in which a lot of statism involvement in science produces these terror scenarios that really mess people's heads up. I mean, I remember reading this stuff when I was a kid, the late great planet Earth and so on. I mean, it's like, it was really, really scary to think that uh, I was, you know, going to be starving to death when I hit puberty or, you know, shortly thereafter. And uh, it's... um It's horrible just how much fear gets pumped into the atmosphere uh, of of society because people aren't market-facing.
1: It's interesting when you look at these predictions, and you still have people like Bill Nye that are open to the idea of prosecuting people for being skeptical of current climate predictions, given the track record, which has been less than stellar.
0: What do you think they have on that guy, Mike?
1: (laughs) I mean, seriously, it's got to be
0: something. I mean, and it's got to be something pretty damn big. You know, somebody... He's got this whole gender is a continuum kind of thing right now. Subjective gender experiences or preferences, sure, but gender itself – no 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 it's an x or it's you know it's an x or, an, or a y chromosome right it's and he's got they, someone dug up his show from the 90s where they talk about you know you're on this side of the coin or you're on this side of the coin it's one mm-hmm. or the other gender is not a continuum you have subjective experiences you know that are girlish men and boyish women and so on and boyish girls and so on. I understand that but gender itself no 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 not a continuum so how he's changed just over the past you know 15 20 years man they got to <laughs> just got to think they got to have something on the guy that that's making him go this Uh, warped. But uh, yeah, this, you know, when he starts talking about prosecuting people for scientific skepticism, he's no longer science.
1: Bill Nye's credibility. It exists on a spectrum from little to none. I don't know if you've
0: seen this meme. (laughs) It's pretty funny. So back in the day, there was this literally looked like a human cyborg with this sort of helicopter Tom Skerritt landing pad hairdo. Uh, He was in one of the Rocky movies. Dolph Lundgren. Do you remember this guy?
1: Yes, I've sat through an Expendables movie or two myself. A friend of mine, his better name
0: would be Dolph Lugnut. That should be his name, which I think is kind of true. Do you know, Dolph Lundgren is far more competent in science than Bill Nye. Like, Bill Nye's got some engineering degree, just an undergraduate degree, he's not a scientist. But, you know, Dolph Lugnut has, like... Crazy numbers of degrees in chemistry and all this kind of stuff. So <laughs> the guy in the in the Rocky movie, far more competent as a scientist than Bill Nye the science guy. It's just kind of
1: funny. Bill Nye isn't a scientist, but he plays one on TV. All right. Saudi Arabia. Sentenced the man to death for atheism.
0: Hmm.
1: That's a little concerning.
0: So in Saudi Arabia, Ahmad al-Shamri was arrested in 2014 on charges of atheism and blasphemy and held in prison before being convicted by a local court and sentenced to death in February 2015. And um, the only defense they could come up with was an insanity plea. And his defense said, well, he was under the influence of drugs and alcohol. I don't know if that's a great defense in a Muslim country. But anyway, at the time of making the videos, and he lost an appeals court case, a Supreme Court ruled against him earlier this week and, um, yeah, sentenced to Death. So, a 2014 string of royal decrees under the late King Abdullah redefined atheists as terrorists, according to a report by Human Rights Watch. Last year, a citizen was sentenced to 10 years in prison and 2,000 lashes for expressing atheistic sentiment in hundreds of social media posts. Uh, International rights groups have been highly critical of Saudi Arabia's human rights record, particularly with regard to the death penalty. Saudi Arabia has a strict Islamic legal code under which Murder, drug trafficking, armed robbery, rape, rape and apostasy. Apostasy is renouncing. Uh, are all punishable by death. 2015, the country executed 153 people, most of them, for drug trafficking or murder. And he uh, they hanged at least 154 prisoners in 2016. That's a, according to a report by Amnesty International. Now that's tragic and horrifying. And I wanted to mention too given what we know about personality traits and genetics, which is that they're quite strongly related, the personality traits are strongly genetic, I wonder how much killing free thinkers has changed what goes on genetically in certain countries. I mean, what is it like to have had, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of years of killing people who are, skeptical, rational, curious, and so on. I wonder what it's done to IQ. I wonder what it's done to just the personality traits called curiosity and skepticism and open-mindedness and all of that. I don't know. Can you weed it out of the gene pool with repeated attacks? I don't know. But I mean, we may never know, but it's just something that sort of runs through my brain from time to time. But the horrifying thing, about this, and Mike, you can you can take this part. So this is Saudi Arabia, right? Cut off your mm-hmm. hand, and these are like beheading people and stuff. Like it's really, really medieval. So, uh, in one of these nails in the coffins, in the in any kind of believability regarding the United
1: Nations, wh- where do they sit now, Mike? Well, they are on the United Nations Human Rights Council currently. And diplomatic cables released by WikiLeaks, who has 100 percent accuracy when it comes to the reporting of their information, by the way, everyone, purported to show that the United Kingdom initiated secret negotiations by asking Saudi Arabia for its support ahead of a ballot. According to WikiLeaks, Saudi Arabia secretly paid the United Kingdom £100,000 and a vote swap for its vote to place the country on the UN Human Rights Council. So, scratch (sighs) my back, I'll scratch yours, and we'll get you on the Human Rights Council, despite the fact that there's some significant, incredible objections to putting Saudi Arabia anywhere near anything that has to do with human rights. Wait a second. I think
0: we're going to have to go back and revise something, Mike.
1: (laughs) What's that? Well, do you
0: remember that guy who said that England would not exist? Just remember there was that bet the guy made, that that England, and, and the guy thought, oh, that's just, that's too crazy, If I were a gambler, this is Ehrlich, I would take even money that England will not exist in the year 2000. Well, I think we're going to have to back and revise that. I'm going to revise my opinion on that. Ehrlich, totally right. Totally correct. Because let me tell you something. If you as a civilization, as a post-Renaissance, post-Enlightenment culture, are willing to take £100,000 from Saudi Arabia and some sort of vote swap in order to elevate Saudi Arabia... To a human rights council, yeah, you've pretty much ceased to exist.
1: Oh, but it gets better, Steph. It gets better. And this is recent. Saudi Arabia was also elected to the UN Commission on the Status of Women. And that happened this Sunday.
0: I think that's great. No, listen, I I am very much of the camp now. I don't know if we've discussed this much. I'm very much of the camp now. Like, Let's just make it worse. Like that this is like who can possibly defend the UN now? Like you read this kind of stuff and you're like, oh you've got to be kidding me now. Oh come on. Come on. Human rights council, status of women. Isn't this the country which had a council on women which had no women on it? Um so to me it's like whatever whatever can delegitimize this globalist crap, I'm hundred percent behind. You know, let's let's just let's get Saudi Arabia absolutely. Let's just get every, every crazy dictatorship uh, on on human rights councils and so on, because how on earth else are we supposed to delegitimize this nonsense?
1: Well, you watch director, Hiller? Hiller, he said, quote, electing Saudi Arabia to protect women's rights is like making an arsonist into the town fire chief. It's absurd, end quote. He also called the election absurd and noted that all women in Saudi Arabia, quote, must have a male guardian who makes all critical decisions on her behalf, controlling a woman's life from her birth until death. Saudi Arabia also bans women from driving cars, end quote. Those seem a little disproportionate. Controls women's life from birth until death. They also can't drive. So yeah, Saudi Arabia on any type of human rights or women's rights board or initiative or anything is um,
0: is a joke. Well, no, I mean, but if you think of human rights like pollution, there's something people can meme if they want. <laughs> if you think of human rights as pollution, like if there was a UN Pollution Council, nobody would join it thinking that they wanted to expand pollution they would think it they wanted to contract pollution to make it smaller to make it less
1: so maybe i just misunderstood
0: yeah the human rights council is how can we possibly reduce human rights the most particularly property rights if i understand the globalist socialist agenda of the u.n correctly so maybe saudi arabia was like yeah we'll join a pollution council because we're against pollution we want to control and reduce it so yeah we'll join a human rights council because we're against human rights and women's status of women sure let's reduce it even further i mean you know they can they can still breathe without permission so maybe we can find a way to fix that
1: Well, there's some other interesting news involving Saudi Arabia. President Donald Trump complained this Thursday that U.S. ally, Saudi Arabia, uh, was not treating the United States fairly and that Washington was losing, quote, a tremendous amount of money, end quote, defending the kingdom. So the United States is currently the main supplier for most Saudi military needs. That's F-15 fighters to control and command systems worth tens of billions of dollars And American contractors have major energy deals with Saudi Arabia as well. It's not just Trump that's sending stuff to Saudi Arabia or talking about Saudi Arabia. As an ally, U.S. President Barack Obama's administration offered Saudi Arabia more than, brace yourselves, $115 billion worth of weapons and other military equipment and training. The most of any U.S. administration in the 71-year U.S.-Saudi alliance. Mm. So yay, yay Let's just arm everybody And if you want to look into some stuff Folks, you can go to Google Or your favorite search engine And type Saudi Arabia and Yemen And you can get some pictures That will horrify you And leave you unable to sleep If you have a conscience
0: This, uh, yeah, this this whole Middle Eastern stuff I mean, the West basically um, Developed the internal combustion engine Oh yeah, I'm going there We're going back, baby Okay, first <laughs> there were dinosaurs And the dinosaurs So the West developed an internal combustion engine, which needed gasoline, which comes from oil, and then developed these um, massive oil companies in the Middle East. And then after the Second World War, when the Western powers were militarily weak and broken and fractured and destroyed in some ways, the Middle Eastern countries stole all of these countries. And since then, massive amounts of resources have flowed from the West into the Middle East, where the average IQ is in the mid-80s, on a good day. And so massive amounts of resources have been flowing from the West and other developed places into the Middle East, into Saudi Arabia, which they did not earn and did not build, but it's where they get a vast amount of their money. And Saudi Arabia has, um, well, been fairly well implicated in exporting large amounts of terrorism and radical jihadism and so on. And so it is one of these horrifying things, because we were going from the environmentalists to Saudi Arabia. These things are not unrelated. Saudi Arabia also funds some environmental groups, because if the West can be convinced to not drill for oil in its own regions or domains, then it's going to be dependent on more Middle Eastern oil. So if you want to save the world, I hate to quote the lady, but drill, baby, drill. Locally, 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 because that's the only way to uh, effect any kind of positive reform or change in places like Saudi Arabia. Because if they're getting all their money from basically having stolen Western technology and companies, then they don't have to answer to their people. They can bribe their people with foreign money control. That's one of the reasons it can be a dictatorship. So uh, it's a whole complicated mess, but uh, the idea, I mean, that Barack Obama... You know, what was it, 15 of the 19 hijackers came from Saudi Arabia? Sure. Here's $115 billion in weapons. That
1: sounds about right. Let's also make it impossible to uh, bring civil suits against the country for any suspected involvement. Oh, Uh, yeah. That was changed recently. Yeah, I'm looking forward to discovery in those cases. By the way, I
0: also just wanted to mention that I'd like to urge President Trump to release the thousands of documents that have been sealed about the JFK assassination. I just am curious, as I think, of course, a lot of people are, what might be revealed in that. As a total non sequitur, I just wanted to point that out. That decision is coming up pretty quickly, and I hope he releases as much as humanly possible. And if he doesn't, uh, maybe they showed him another angle that uh, (laughs) is privately held by the government. We'll see. We'll see. All right, let's move on.
1: Well, there was a study that came out very recently that talked about the unintended consequences of invoking the term natural in regards to breastfeeding. I don't know that there's many things more natural than breastfeeding, but nonetheless, they're very, very concerned about it. Wait, wait. Is it
0: because some women have silicone in their boobs and therefore it's unnatural breastfeeding?
1: That wasn't included, but that would have been on par with some of the nonsense that they brought up. So let's quote the study. Quote, Medical and public health organizations recommend that mothers exclusively breastfeed for at least six months. This recommendation is based on evidence of health benefits for mothers and babies, as well as developmental benefits for babies, a spat of recent work challenges to the extent of these benefits, and ethical criticism of breastfeeding promotion as stigmatizing is also growing. Building on this critical work, we are concerned about breastfeeding promotion that praises breastfeeding as the natural Way to feed infants. This messaging plays into a powerful perspective that natural approaches to health are better. A view examined in a recent report by the Nuffield Council on Bioethics, promoting breastfeeding as natural, may be ethically problematic, and even more troublingly, it may bolster this belief that natural approaches are presumptively healthier. End quote. So this is. They're concerned it's a tree draws. bark. It cures something. Yes, yes. Oh, I'm <laughs>
0: troubled. It's problematic. It's disconcerting. It's like, oh, shut up. Don't try and tell me that sticking a milk-filled boob in a baby's mouth is somehow not natural or not good. Sorry, science, my friends. Science.
1: Well, this also implies that people are absolutely mentally incapable of discerning propaganda regarding the term natural versus... You know typical mainstream scientific and medical cures to various ailments in order for their concern trolling to uh stick you have to assume everyone's an idiot so and they're talking about women so what is it so
0: it's mean? gonna stick <laughs> that's what that's what you're telling me is that okay i understand i understand
1: quote coupling nature with motherhood however can inadvertently support biologically deterministic arguments ah. about the roles of men and women in the family yeah for example, that women should be the primary caretakers of children, <laughs> <sighs> referencing the natural in breastfeeding promotion, then may inadvertently endorse a controversial set of values about family life and gender roles, which would be ethically inappropriate. End quote. <laughs> a controversial set of values about family life.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. Like uh, men breastfeeding babies, they get floss and it's all taps and no plumbing so uh, i mean this is mad ethically inappropriate oh this inappropriate word oh i've had a rant about that or two before it's just like imp- inappropriate to what compared to what sorry nature is sexist nature gives women the feed bags on the boobs and men not so much um also women are kind of disabled after childbirth for a while men not so much so um I don't know. Sorry. Sorry, it's good for the baby. Sorry, it's really good for the baby's uh, immune system. It's really good for their development. It's really good for their IQ development. It's a couple of points extra of IQ to be breastfed. Sorry about that. But it turns out that that breastfeeding is sexist. <laughs> I mean, good Lord. I love this it. This is where we are. I love it. Again, please, everyone, I'm just in the worst is better situation now. This is my mood. Maybe it'll change tomorrow, but this is my mood right now. Worse is better. Absolutely. You know what? I I want them to promote robots feeding babies. I I want them to, to promote getting giant cannons full of skimmed milk powder and firing it directly up the nose of baby. Just come up with whatever crazy stuff you want so that nothing ever is is sexist. I want there to be 350 genders on Wednesday. That's what I want. Just go further. Stop pulling back. Stop going half and half. Just go completely insane. I want giant... Boob milk-filled zeppelins hovering over towns with big tentacles of tubeness coming down to feed babies that sneak in through the windows at night. I just want things to get completely insane. Because we're going there anyway. Why hit the brakes? Because the sooner this thing crashes, the sooner we can pick ourselves up from this madness and start thinking sensibly again.
1: Let me just point out that they tried to get this gender role stuff in under the guise of we're concerned about using natural because people may use natural cures and that type of stuff, which may not be the best thing medically. And then the, in the back door, oh, this could inadvertently support biologically deterministic arguments about the roles of men and women in the family. Yes, we, we know why you did this study. <laughs> we know the real reason because we read it to the end. Get we get women back into the workforce. Make sure that the uh, children are handed over to the
0: government, and that way we get to rule you forever. Yeah, okay.
1: And I'm sure your tax dollars went into funding this study and many other studies like it. So you can rejoice on that fact if you're not already thrilled. Remember, boobs,
0: only for recreation. Only for recreation. Nothing productive about them.
1: Well, this week Oxford University came out and said that not making eye contact means that you're racist. Hmm. Students who avoid making eye contact with their peers could be guilty of racism, according to Oxford University's mm. latest guidance. The university's Equality and Diversity Unit, I just laugh at the name of these departments and groups and all that, the Equality and Diversity Unit, has advised students that, quote, not speaking directly to people, end quote, could be deemed a, quote, racial microaggression, end quote, which can lead to, quote, mental ill, mental Ill health, end huh. quote. So, not talking to people is a racial microaggression. So, you have to talk to every, what is it? Every minority that you see. What if you're a minority? Then do you have to talk to other minorities, or do you have to talk to white people? This, I hope, it was elaborated on because currently, I'm confused. What if you who uh, I have to what talk if you have to someone who I don't have to?
0: Yeah. What if you have a sore throat? What if you don't speak their language? I wonder. So, they're talking about racial microaggressions now. This is in in England, but I wonder if this sort of ra- ra- racial microaggressions. ...has ever been examined, you know, insofar as in the United States, if there's a black-on-white crime, it's 15 times more likely that it's a black person attacking a white person than a white person attacking a black person. I wonder if they've, you know, like, that That could be considered not exactly a microaggression, a little bit more of a macroaggression... But, but I wonder, Steph,
1: does the black person speak to the white person? As or
0: make herself? eye contact? Well, I guess he would with the fist. Like the fist would make like eye contact with the fist. But uh, this nonsense where you, I mean, oh look, they're picking on white people's racial guilt. Ooh, what a brave moral hero you are, boy! No one's ever tried that before. Ooh, you're really treading on thin ice. You're really edgy. Ooh, ooh, moral
1: courage to the max. That's like Joe Biden this week, who gave a very brave. Very brave and courageous speech denouncing rape. He came out against rape, Steph. I I was uh, tears in my eyes (laughs) as Joe Biden came out against rape, the moral hero that he is. (sighs) Other examples of, quote, everyday racism, end quote, include asking someone where they are originally from, students were told. Oxford University's Equality and Diversity Unit explains in its Trinity Term Newsletter, I need to sign up for that, that, quote, some people who do these things may be entirely well-meaning and would be mortified to realize that they had caused offense. Quote, but this is of little consequence if a possible effect of their words or actions is to suggest to people that they may fulfill a negative stereotype or do not belong. End quote.
0: Well, yeah, because, of course, for a lot of the uh, minority and female students, where are you originally from? Affirmative action. And then they don't. That answer is is very challenging for a lot of people and may make them feel like they don't belong, which, as in you know, the recent conversation that uh, Charles Murray had with Sam Harris, which people should go and listen to, when he was mm-hmm. pointing out at MIT that I think the number of blacks who um, who dropped out uh, of the sort of advanced STEM program was uh, like 24, 26 percent or something like that. Yeah, I mean, this is a a challenge.
1: The university was criticized for being insensitive for making these comments at all. No, they were criticized for being insensitive to autistic people who can struggle making eye contact. The university said that it made a mistake and had not taken disabilities into account.
0: But if you're blind, you can't make eye contact. And if you're mute, you can't talk to people, so...
1: That's the only problem here is they yeah. didn't account for blind mute people. <laughs> so they put out an apology, which they actually tweeted at you as well, Steph. They, everyone that talked about this story on Twitter got the apology tweeted at them. So whoever's running their Twitter account was busy. They said, we made a mistake. Our newsletter was too brief to deal adequately and sensibly with the issue. <laughs> I don't think the brevity was the problem, Oxford. We are sorry that we took no account of other reasons for a difference in eye contact and social interaction, including disability. Oxford deeply values and works hard to support students and staff with disabilities, including those with autism or social anxiety disorder. End quote. Mm. (laughs) Again, that's not the problem. (sighs) That's not the problem. But, you know, they apologize for offending people with social anxiety disorders.
0: And so if you are not from England and you want to go, like, if you're not from the UK or the European Union and you want to pay up to $30,000 a year, you too can become paranoid about how and where you look and how and where you speak. And that's what they call these days an education.
1: Well, moving to Detroit. Ah! We're going to hunt dogs. Well, property's cheap, at least. There is that. Well, three arrests were made in Detroit, where two physicians and one physician's wife were charged with mutilating the genitals of minor girls. Two victims were from Minnesota and were delivered to the doctor by their immigrant Somali mothers. So you're traveling to find these specific doctors. That's, That's a little concerning in of itself. I'm curious if it'll ever come out how many of these mutilations were performed. The three suspects represent the first prosecution in the United States for the practice, which is very common in Muslim countries, particularly in Africa. Now, this story in and of itself is terrible. The response to the story is interesting. So on April 13th, the New York Times posted a 637-word article on page A14, (laughs) so not, not front page, about a Michigan doctor. Just just a good old Michigan doctor. And they didn't mention Islam and didn't mention Muslim at all. Just a Michigan doctor. Mm. The Washington Post ran a seven hundred and sixty word online article on April thirteenth as well about a Detroit emergency room doctor. Right. Nothing else there. AP ran a four paragraph report in the newsletter about a Detroit area doctor. Mm. Again, these didn't mention Islam or right. was anything I I think
0: else. no, no. I think the problem is it's still way too specific. No, it's Go way on. too specific. I, I want to just see potential carbon-based life forms interact. That's that's all. I, and potential. Let's not, because it's insensitive to inanimate objects to differentiate so clearly between the living and the inanimate. So, yeah, carbon-based biped, potential bipeds, because could be one-legged. Things happened, maybe. that That's all I want from the news. I don't want anything more specific than that because someone's going to be upset or something, inanimate object is going to feel more inanimate.
1: Media Research Council President Brent Bozell and Bridget Gabriel, founder of ACT for America, they released a joint statement and said, quote, The media's moral compass is hopelessly broken. We have the first case of the brutal practice of FGM in the United States, and the networks are AWOL. See what they did there? I kind of like that. You would think an extremely brutal practice of violence against women would make TV headlines here at home, but you would be wrong. Where's the outrage? The hypocrisy is staggering. The networks, which have for years championed the causes of left-wing feminists and women's rights, are conspicuously silent on this case, and their silence is deafening. The real exploitation of young girls and the usual suspects who ought to care have little to say about this form of torture making its way to America. This practice is illegal and immoral. The networks have an ethical responsibility to report that it's happening here at home. If they don't, they are guilty of aiding and abetting violence against women, out of a politically correct-fueled fear of offending Muslims, end quote. Hmm. So New York Times health and science editor, Seela Duggar, she, uh, she decided that the paper shouldn't use the term female genital mutilation because the phrase is too, quote, culturally loaded, end quote. It widens the divide between the Western world and, quote, people who follow the right. It's just a right. Quote. You know, it's it's just Jesus. a right. It's just a little, like it's a
0: little ritual. You know, like like crossing yourself in front, or, or not walking under a ladder. It's just a right.
1: It widens the divide between people that would be opposed to female genital mutilation and those who practice female genital mutilation, as if the divide could get any wider. <laughs> no,
0: listen, listen, Mike, Mike, come on. Making bank robbery illegal is bad enough. However, if you actually talk about... Bank robbers, you're widening the divide between those who put money into the bank peacefully and those who take it out violently. And we, we, we want to bring everyone together.
1: I go to a bank, triggered. <laughs> right. She came to this conclusion to refer to the act of removing the female genitalia of young girls as, quote, genital cutting, end quote, during a trip to Africa in the 1990s. Here's a quote from her I never minced words in describing exactly what form of cutting was involved. And there are many gradations of severity and the terrible damage it did and stayed away from euphemistic circumcision, but chose to use the less culturally loaded term genital cutting. There's a gulf between the Western and some African advocates who campaign against the practice and the people who follow the right. And I felt the language used widened that chasm.
0: Mm. Yeah, we don't want that chasm to be widened. Uh, and, And it's really, really important to cover up for people who are mutilating children. Uh, that is is very very important because the, you know when you when you look at potential widening of chasmness versus hacking at the genitals of little girls, it's really really important to be sensitive to some chasm thing in your head. That's that's really really important.
1: And this is one of those moments where you can look at people and anyone that calls themselves a feminist or talk about women's rights or anything that's not actively speaking out against this and very upset you don't have to take them seriously ever, ever, ever again. Covering, just up, covering, up the, uh,
0: covering up the mutilation of children's genitals. I mean, what do they think these girls
1: are, boys? <laughs> we'll get to that in a little bit. Well, estimates show that some 200 million women worldwide have been subjected to female genital mutilation. And although the procedure is typically practiced in African or Middle Eastern countries, it's spreading westward. Nearly 6,000 reported cases occurred in Britain, From April 2015 to March 2016, so Mm. in a year, 6,000 cases. Those are reported cases. You can imagine how many are actually happening under the table.
0: Again, uh, maybe maybe Britain did cease to exist, and Ehrlich was right.
1: According to UNICEF, the prevalence of female genital mutilation in the following countries, dot, 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 is... Yeah, let's run through some countries and the prevalence. Somalia, it's the champion. 98% of females are generally mutilated in Somalia. But I'm sure because the government collapsed, it'll become a libertarian uh, paradise tomorrow. Guinea, 97%. Steph, have you ever seen the name of this country before? Djibouti. 93%. Sierra Leone, 90%. Mali, 89%. Egypt, 87%. Sudan, 87%. Burkina Faso, 76%. Gambia, 75%. Ethiopia, 74%. Mauritania, sixty nine
0: percent. Liberia fifty. Guinea-Bissau forty five. Chad forty four. Ivory Coast basically thirty eight. Yeah, as it goes down from there, Nigeria twenty five down to Yemen nineteen. The overall male circumcision rate in uh, the states, the US, is, is between, between... seventy six and ninety two percent. Most Western European countries, by contrast, have rates less than twenty percent, and uh, whew, it's um it's rough. I mean, it, it, it's rough. It, I mean, the male circumcision is brutal enough; like a third of your penis skin is is removed, and and so on. But certainly, sometimes some
1: without anesthetic. Without anesthetic, I'll point that out. But
0: some of, but at least it happens when you're a baby, and now your body six months later still has higher levels of cortisol, and it definitely is a assault on your most sensitive area. But for these girls, it happens when they're older, and it can actually destroy your capacity to experience any sexual pleasure. It's not the case with circumcision. Unless it goes horribly wrong. But, uh, you know, arguably worse in, in some circumstances. But, um, yeah, the the people who aren't complaining about this, um, sorry, you don't care about the girls. You don't care about the women. And that is wretched.
1: Well, when I was looking up the current male rate of circumcision in the United States, I came across a Washington Post article that had a had a quote that I just have to include in this. They said, quote, Overall, men who have been circumcised don't appear to have many regrets about it. Only 10% of circumcised men said they wish they hadn't been circumcised, according to YouGov. End quote. (laughs) I just like that. Only 10% of circumcised men wish they hadn't been circumcised. It's only 10%. The My question
0: is, uh, have they been exposed to the facts? And people can check out the circumcision videos we have on this channel and interviews we have. It depends whether you have the facts or not. If you're told, well, it's had no effect, but it's kept you... Uh, safe from utis and and other problems
1: uh and then you know it's okay, Penile well. cancer oh my goodness oh, the yeah. risk of penile cancer if you aren't circumcised it's massive no not really I had a I had a friend who
0: who uh, up, up here in Canada needed to see a, uh, a male specialist for for a health issue and was given a waiting period of 10 months 10 months Months before he could see a male specialist. See, men only pay a significant majority of the taxes. So what, why on earth would there be enough male specialists to deal with male health issues? Terrible.
1: Moving to Barack Obama. ching Yeah, he cashed in and signed a $400,000 speech deal. So Obama will be paid $400,000 to speak at the financial services firm Cantor Fitzgerald, their healthcare conference, this September. So that pretty much sets the benchmark for how much an hour of the former president's time will cost going forward. And I I think since then, he's already signed up for another $400,000 speech. So, you know, public servant, (laughs) not enriching himself in any way, shape or form.
0: Look, I mean, if you're in the financial services sector, particularly post 2007, 2008 crash, you haven't been prosecuted. You know, for, for some, what to me at least looked like pretty obvious, frauds and misrepresentations. Now, you may have been sort of gone after maybe your organization, not you personally, your organization had to pay a fine, which was something you could pass along to your customers and so on. But not being prosecuted might make you somewhat grateful to uh, Obama, in which case maybe you want to say, here, thanks, man, uh, here's $400,000 to talk about stuff you're not particularly an expert in. I mean, it's been eight years being president, not becoming an expert on finances. Boy, just look at the deficit. How much can I tell you he's not an expert on finances? It's pretty
1: much infinite. Yeah, it's not so much a speaking fee as it is a thank you. Now, two months ago, Penguin Random House won an auction to publish the first book by the Obamas since leaving office. How much do you think it was, Dan? To- <laughs> If you had to guess, you've heard these massive book deals. Get yeah, out, I, I like thought it would $10 be in the t- million for Megan Kelly and that kind of thing.
0: I thought it would be in the tens of millions. I thought maybe 30 or 40, uh, but it's, uh, uh, it's even 60 bigger. million, 60,
1: 60 million dollars.
0: And I'm I love what they're doing there. I guarantee you, in my personal opinion, maybe I'm going all Paul Ehrlich on everyone. They're going to lose money. I, I think people don't understand just how out of sight, out of mind some of these guys can be. I mean, obviously, there's all of this hypocrisy, right? People like when when um, Mitt Romney said back in the day, oh, I don't get paid that much for speeches. And it was like, "I maybe in a couple of speeches, he made 360000 People are like, oh, that's a huge amount of money. That's so wrong. That's so unjust. And now people are like, well, you got to calm down. It's only $400,000 for a speech. Right, the out of sight, out of mind stuff, I think it's pretty important. Uh, he's not, I think, coming back, obviously, in, in, into public life, certainly in any degree of power that he had before. They're going to pay him $60 million for his... Um, memoirs, I think they're going to lose uh, a lot on that, in my opinion.
1: That's a lot of books to sell, just to break even. That's right. a whole lot of books to sell. Now, Obama does have a track record of selling books, which is better than many of the people get. that get these massive book deals, which oftentimes seem like bribes from the parent companies of the book publishers. Just throw that out there. Yeah, at least he has a track record. We'll see if that holds over and he's able to make up $60 million worth of an advance. So that sum is more than four times greater than the $15 million Bill Clinton received. $15 million, that's like chump change.
0: And you've got to, just so people remember, sorry to interrupt, but just so people remember, it's not like you have to sell $60 million worth of books to break even. You have to make $60 million worth of profit to break even. That's mm-hmm. a different matter entirely.
1: George W. Bush made an estimated $10 million from his book after he left office. Now, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren was asked, what do you think about President Obama accepting $400,000 from Wall Street? Now, of course, Warren has railed against Wall Street and big banks and all that stuff nonstop. How did she respond? I feel like scalping him. No, wait. No, no. Okay, sorry. I'm going on the warpath. No, no. Well, I was troubled by that. What? That's what she said. Yeah. You don't say. After uh, the way Elizabeth Warren cozied up to Hillary Clinton after denouncing her for, again, ties to big banks. she so will say what she needs to say in the moment to move forward politically. There's not much in the way of principles behind uh, Pocahontas. <sighs> now, Bernie Sanders was also asked, and he said, I think at a time when people are so frustrated with the power of Wall Street and the big money interest, I think it is unfortunate that President Obama is doing this. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Mm. And Elizabeth Warren is troubled.
0: Just bad luck. Just, it's yeah. terrible bad luck. You know, he just woke up crimed its way out of the back of the windowless van and ended up in a pile of money talking to a bunch of financial people. Bad luck, man, bad luck.
1: We move on to Mrs. Bernie Sanders. So the Justice Department and the FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigations, has investigated the wife of Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and, in fact, may still be investigating her. Why? Well, it's over her role in what may be called a fraudulent acquisition of close to seven million bucks worth of tax-exempt bonds that she used to finance an expansion when she was president of Burlington College. Now, Burlington College is no more. It done collapsed under the weight of Jane Sanders' mismanagement. I think that's fairly safe to say. So, this ambitious expansion was spearheaded by Mrs. Bernie Sanders, and, well, They needed to get a whole lot of money to buy some land and then construction and everything that would go along with expanding their enrollment ability from about 200 full-time students to 400. So they needed to take on $10 million in debt to finance this whole expansion and new campus. Now, they shopped around and they found the People's Bank, which agreed to purchase bonds But they were contingent upon a minimum commitment of $2.27 million worth of grants and donations prior to closing. So they say, all right, we're going to give you the bonds that you need to do this expansion, but we're going to use $2.27 million worth of upcoming grants and donations that you are guaranteed to receive as collateral for this debt. So Jane Sanders at the time suggested that the school had lined up several donors ready to fork over $2.6 million. So hey, $2.6 million, that's more than $2.27 million. So People's Bank said thumbs up. And of course as well, that was just the tip of the iceberg it was promised. Lots of donations coming in. More donations than you know what to do with. So at this point, People's Bank said, all right, we're going to give you $6.7 million worth of tax-exempt bonds to finance this expansion. And, well, Burlington College, unfortunately, did not receive anything close to the promised $2.6 million worth of donations that this entire loan and bond purchase was contingent upon. From 2010 to 2014, the school only received $676,000 worth of donations. It's also reported... And take this with a grain of salt. I've seen it floating around and seen it reported, but I, I haven't myself verified these people's financial statements. It's being reported that two people whose pledges were listed as confirmed in the loan agreement. They're absolutely going to give us mass amounts of money that we can use to uh, hold as collateral for these bonds. Well, their personal financial records show that their pledges were overstated, and neither of them were aware that their pledges were used to secure this loan. Jane Sanders... She ended up leaving the college on September 26, 2011, less than a year after setting up this whole property purchase, and with two years remaining on her contract, she resigned as president, and the lawyers got together and all those people, and they said, here's a $200,000 severance package. Here you go, here's your golden parachute. You appear to have bollocked up this entire operation, but here's two hundred k to go away.
0: Well, and the other thing that's a challenge here is, arguably, it's a little bit too late for her to offer big speaking fees to people in the government uh, in return for them perhaps overlooking all of this stuff. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, folks. Totally and completely. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's gross stuff. But even you know, should should this get get somewhere, and she did, she, did she do something wrong? Well, she didn't. Well, she wasn't involved in a financial crash that wiped out forty percent of the wealth in America. You know, this is a couple is million that. bucks, and so even if they go after it, even if they get her, eh, you know, still a lot of people, quite a lot more powerful, who are responsible for the destruction of a lot more wealth. So again, it's the old argument that the uh, the law, the law is a kind of a funny net. It, it uh, catches the little fish and lets the big fish go.
1: Even if you look at this and say there was nothing fraudulent about this, no charges should be filed, it does show that she was complete and totally incompetent in her job of actually running The college is president, so...
0: Promising that there'll be a lot of money to pay for stuff, that money doesn't seem to show up. Huh. First time ever in socialism.
1: Who could have guessed? There's no way that this pattern could have been recognized before. Goodness. Well, let's move on to the Pope, who just spoke out, of all things... Wait, wait,
0: wait, wait, let me guess. Wait, let me guess. Okay, is it massive overspending by governments? No. Is it hyperregulation? Is nope. it environmental problems? Is it mass migration nope. from the third world into Europe? Is it the declining number of Christians? Is it Christian persecution in the third world? What, Mike, what, what did he choose from any of the myriad challenges and disasters that face Catholicism? What did he choose
1: to talk about? Libertarians. I was not going to guess that at all. At all. Well, he, he has talked about the migrant crisis, just not in the way that you would envision, and we'll get to that as well. But he said, quote, I cannot fail to speak of the grave risks associated with the invasion of the positions <laughs> of libertarian individualism at high strata of culture and in school and university education.
0: <laughs> you know, you know, PF, you, you really can fail to speak of it. You, you can. It's absolutely possible because you wouldn't want to be revealed as somebody who was using an ancient and often noble religion in order to further globalism and socialism. So you could fail, and you might actually, like, you could fail to speak of this, and then you might actually be considered to have succeeded in other things somewhat more important, like, you know, having a sense of perspective or priorities.
1: Libertarian individualism in school and university education. That's a big problem. Did he say this at Berkeley? I mean, I'm aware of some libertarian academics. I'm I'm aware that they do exist, but let's just say they're, uh, they're in a bit of short supply. And they're
0: trying to work from home as much as possible now.
1: He continued and said, A common characteristic of this fallacious paradigm is that it minimizes the common good that is the idea of living well or the good life in the communitarian framework. Mm. End quote. He continued and said that libertarianism, quote, which is so fashionable today, oh, quote,
0: it's really not. You know, and a guy who basically dresses himself like a giant interstellar tea cozy. I don't know if I want to hear about fashions. I mean, but it's not fashionable today. Isn't libertarianism? Oh, man.
1: Talk about a straw man. Anyway, sorry, go on. Oh. <laughs> It's a more radical form of individualism that asserts that, quote, only the individual gives value to things and to interpersonal relations, and therefore only the individual decides what is good and what is evil. And quote.
0: no no, libertarianism is founded on property rights and the non aggression principle, which is not a subjective preference, but must be enforced universally. So again, straw man, nonsense, uh, what can I say? I mean this 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 man is a complete socialist uber, in my humble opinion
1: only the individual gives value to things. No, that's called the price system that determines the value in the free market. It's not just the individual. It's the, never mind. Ah, he continued, said libertarianism preaches the idea that quote, self causation end quote, is necessary to ground freedom and individual responsibility. What? Quote, thus the libertarian individual denies the value of the common good because on the one hand, he supposes that the very idea of common means the, constriction of at least some individuals and on the other hand that the notion of good deprives freedom of its essence end quote not an
0: argument not an argument i don't don't even know what this means the constriction of at least some individuals hey hey popey you know what constricts some individuals thou shalt not kill totally (laughs) mass murderers totally constrict thou shalt not steal oh wait no see that would be fiat currency and all that so but yeah Uh, Thou shalt not kill, totally constricts some individuals. Are you saying that you don't want some individuals constricted if they wish to do evil? And the other, the notion of good deprives freedom of its essence. Yeah, freedom, the essence. We don't want to deprive freedom of its essence because that's incomprehensible.
1: I'm surprised you didn't immediately jump to the idea of a common good. Steph, would you like to talk about the common good? Well, sure. I mean, the common
0: good, in a libertarian sense, is just the free market, you know. What, what people want in involuntary transactions and negotiations, and where they want to apply their resources voluntarily. The idea of a common good that is defined by the state is uh, the idea that uh, we're all going to go this way. If you don't want to come along, you get to go to jail or be fined. And if you don't pay the fine, go to jail. So, no, there's no such thing as uh, a common good. That's a lie that is invented in order to strip people of their rights. And uh, once it gets defined... It's a real challenge, because if you're going to define the common good as antithetical to individual human liberties, then you have a challenge. And I kind of get where he's coming from from that standpoint, sure. If I'm going to say, well, the common good is giving this group a huge amount of money. That, that's important for the common good. It's like, okay, well, then I get to take everyone who's not part of that good to take their money and give it to that group. So I'm taking away the property rights of some people because of this idea of the common good. But nobody can define it in any sense. It's just this giant smokescreen for um, some significantly criminal acts, in my opinion.
1: Well, he also thinks that libertarianism is, quote, an anti social radicalization of individualism, which leads to the conclusion that everyone has the right to extend himself as far as his abilities allow him, even at the cost of the exclusion and marginalization of the more vulnerable majority, end <sighs> quote. Wait, wait, wait. So give more money to the poor. That's. Hang that's on, hang on.
0: He's really concerned about ideals that radicalize individuals. Wow. I thank you so much for focusing on libertarianism, because that's the great danger that people are facing around the world, is radical, exploding libertarianism.
1: People may wear bow ties. Hold me. Now, according to this mentality, all relationships that create ties must be eliminated, the Pope suggested, quote, since they would limit freedom, end quote. What? Oh, so, so in a
0: libertarian free market environment, you can't sign a contract? Is, is that his argument, that somehow the free market means that you can't ever sign a contract? Ah, it's madness.
1: In this way, only by living independently of others of the common good and even God himself can a person be free
0: um yeah i gotta tell you i miss catholicism when it aimed at a high iq population no i miss i miss catholicism when it was more european now that it's become you know like south american and, and and other places i mean they just they have a different um mindset let's say that they need to appeal to and uh, this kind of stuff this kind of fluff i mean you, you can't imagine people like thomas aquinas uh, speaking like this
1: Well, this isn't the first time that the Pope has recently gone off half-cocked, or half-cocked, if you want to (laughs) say. All-cocked. There's no half about it. He's all in, baby. In March, Pope Francis told the leaders of the European Union that the populist movements that are sweeping many parts of Europe and other areas are fueled by, quote, egotism, end quote. Populism, he said, is, quote, the fruit of an egotism that hems people in and prevents them from overcoming and looking beyond their own narrow vision. End quote. Not an argument.
0: So, egotism. Egotism, I guess, is the feeling that, that you're right about things, and maybe it's having a high view of yourself. Just the general perception, not the objectivist perception of egotism. So, a man who believes that God speaks only to him, and that he's infallible, is complaining about potential vanity on the part of other people? I think you might want to look for egotism a little bit closer to home. Hope
1: projection, baby. Pope Francis previously estimated that about two percent of the Catholic Church are pedophiles. Now, Pope Francis also recently cut penalties for two pedophile priests and overruled advice given to him by the Vatican Congregation on the doctrine of the faith, allowing these two pedophile priests to be punished by any guesses, Steph? Castration? Nope. European law? Being sent
0: to Saudi Arabia? Nope. Being sent to Detroit? (laughs)
1: nope Venezuela nope punished by a lifetime of prayer ah right the pope is said to be applying his version of a merciful church to sex offenders by reducing punishments to weaker sentences such as the aforementioned lifetime of prayer and penance yay pope francis moral hero right there now pope francis on refugees you wanted him to talk about refugees in the migrant crisis well he did and this is what he said Quote, "Authentic hospitality is our greatest security against hateful acts of terrorism. With your help, the Church will be able to respond more fully to the human tragedy of refugees through acts of mercy that promote their integration into the European context and beyond. I encourage you to welcome refugees into your homes and communities so that their first experience of Europe is not the traumatic experience of sleeping cold on the streets, but one of warm human welcome. Remember that authentic hospitality" is a profound gospel value that nurtures love and is our greatest security against hateful acts of terrorism, quote. Now, the Pope also cited the words of Jesus, who at the last judgment will praise and bless those who practice hospitality. He said, for I was, quote, a stranger and you welcomed me, End quote. So therefore, you must bring all kinds of refugees into your countries, pay them massive amounts of welfare benefits to outbreed you and attack the native population, displace your culture. Yeah, because the Pope said so when Jesus said, a stranger and you welcomed me.
0: You know, I don't like to explain Jesus to to the Pope. I, I don't. like. I mean, as far as egotism and vanity goes, that may be considered a bit of an overreach. So with all due humility, I just wanted to put forward my perspective on what Pepe Frank has said about this this situation. So, Jesus did honor and respect hospitality. You know, hospitality is actually a voluntary choice. You know, if you want to invite someone into your home and give them dinner and give them a place to sleep and so on, you're spending your own money out of your own choice, and therefore there can be virtue in it. This is not what happens with the migrant crisis. The migrants come into the country and they use the power of the state, or the power of the state is used, to transfer money by force from the native population to the migrants. So it is no longer a matter of generosity. It's no longer a matter of virtue because it's compelled, it's forced, it's enforced. And so it doesn't do any good to ascribe, or it certainly doesn't make any sense, to ascribe positive moral natures to compelled actions. If you compel someone, there's no morality in it anymore. If I force someone, if I chain them to, if I drag them in a windowless van in my house and chain them to the um, the dining room chairs and then break bread with them, they're not there by choice. They're not my friend. It's compelled, and this is really, really important to to understand. And and how much is being misunderstood. A country is not a person. A country is not a person the government is not the people you could say well france has opened its doors to refugees no no it hasn't france has failed to enforce the law because refugees have to by law stay in the first country they get to and not go welfare shopping throughout europe so france has failed to enforce the law many many in many times and in many ways and it is forcing its population to pay for these migrants and it's doing so let's be honest to appease the existing population from those regions of the world, so that they'll gain votes from from that population. So it's not like France is some person. This is collectivism, right? It's the mistaking of the individual and society, which is bad enough, but mistaking the individual for the state that rules and punishes him and entraps him. Well, that is absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. To say that someone has done something virtuous when they've in fact been forced to support those who would do them harm, is mistaking charity for coercion. And that's such a fundamental misapprehension of anything that Jesus said. Jesus never said, you must institute governments that force you to fund those who often hate your way of life. No, 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 no. that's not what happened. Jesus, when people were preying upon the kindness or preying upon the worshipful, he took a whip to the money lenders and to the money changers. He took a whip to them. And that is something, again, with all due humility, I would submit on this issue.
1: Well, it's best to go out with a bang, and I don't think we're going to be able to top that rant. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Greatly appreciate it. Would also appreciate it if you could go to freedomainradio.com slash donate, support the show by signing up for a reoccurring donation or making a one-time donation. We do need your support, and we cannot do this show without it. It's a massive amount of work beyond which I could even describe to you. So I'd appreciate that very, very much. If you want to get your hands on some dank memes, you can go to Twitter.com slash Molyneux. Follow stuff there. And if you'd like to help us out, you can also go to FDRURL.com. That's FDRURL.com slash iTunes. And you can leave us an iTunes review. Say, five stars, thumbs up. The show's awesome. We'd appreciate that as well. It would be helpful. So thank you for listening. Look forward to your feedback, your comments, your questions, and we will see you next week.